hello, hello, Charleston fans. Welcome back to another episode of Brownie and Benji. It's me, Benji Nurek, and I'm very excited, as always, to be joined by Charlton Athletic legend. More than 240 appearances for the club, two different promotions. You now may hear him on Valley Pass at the weekend. Steve Brown, how you doing today, Brownie? Very well, Benji. All the better for that result at the weekend. A wonderful result. It made my train journey back much the sweeter. And thoroughly deserved, actually. We'll talk yeah, about it, I'm sure, in a minute. But thoroughly deserved in the end. Didn't, didn't really have anybody within the team who was a six or below. They were all sevens and eights. They were terrific as a unit, terrific as a functioning team. Uh, and obviously, Sunderland, their moments, you know. Um, but they were bound to with the run they've been on, the home form. Mm. The position in the league they held, they were going to have a couple of moments. It's how we dealt with those moments that was particularly pleasing. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll jump into that more um, now. I mean, we might as well jump into it right here. Obviously, a huge, huge win at the weekend. I mean, just looking at the fixtures on paper, you're thinking away at the Stadium of Light against the Sunderland side that's battling for automatic promotion, had been in really good form for the most part up until that game. Obviously, now they lost as well last night. But... Just in general, what, what, what stood out to you? What, what kind of impressed you about that Charlton performance? You spoke about it a little bit there, but yeah. Yeah, well, I, I tell you what impressed me the most was the way that we conducted ourselves in the second half mm. because I thought the first half was a little bit more even. And obviously the players have gone down the tunnel and Sunderland had a couple of really, really good opportunities in that first 45 minutes uh, and probably felt they deserved the lead. Um, and what I liked was what we did second half. We really did shut out everything that they were doing well in the first 45 minutes and became a little bit of a threat ourselves. I mean, the game took a little bit of a backward step in, in terms of its, its openness, mm. but we needed to do that. We were the away side. You know, I, I think everybody agreed that if we came away with a point, it would be a good result. It would be a good point. Mm. And the way we went about that second half, uh, particularly after taking the lead, in the first, was we really did limit them to very few opportunities. And the only time I felt like we were on the back foot was in that last 10 minutes where they got that goal. And then we were, we did what every team does in the country. Mm -hmm. It sits back, it sucks in the pressure, tries to get a counter-attacking goal because that's the safest way to seal a result, even though everybody thinks it's not. I've been in that position a, a million times. I said, I said to the guys, I said to Greg and Terry off air, you know, myself, Curbs, Lenny Lawrence, we can all talk about don't drop too deep, don't do this. We've all done it. They've done it as, as managers. I've done it as a player. We all do it. Um, uh, but it was, it was pleasing to see that we, we managed that last 12 minutes mm -hmm. or 13 minutes and didn't let them in again. Because I just felt like, I thought, oh, no, they're going to get a 2-2. Yeah. And they didn't. And I think that's really a great sign for, mm. for Nigel and, and a great sign for the team, actually, you know, heading into the last seven games with the playoffs ahead. Possibly, yeah, and I think, you know, you know, as you said it there, those, those final 12, 13 minutes, whatever it was, after they got that goal, it's easy to kind of crumble in that position. And it's easy, obviously, it's natural to drop back. And it's natural to start defending and defending and defending, which is what happened and playing on the counter. But what impressed me about that, that sort of, that, that, that last 12 minutes where Charlton really dug their heels in 
was that Sunderland didn't really have any clear-cut chances. They had a couple of little moments that looked like they might potentially be dangerous, but it's not as if Ben Amos had to make an amazing save in those last 12 minutes. He made a number of very impressive saves in the first half, but in that last period when Charlton were hanging on, they really didn't have a, Sunderland really didn't have a huge chance, and that in itself says a lot about you know that 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 impressive resilience to dig in and hold out. And I think sort of connecting to that idea of, 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 I think, I guess it's the mental strength of the team right now, is that the first half, the first 15 minutes, Sunderland started well on top, I felt. They were really creating quite a few, not just chances, but really good chances. And Ben Amos had to make a number of very good saves. And once again, it's easy, I think, in that position, when you're playing a team like Sunderland, who are good and are pretty explosive going forward, it's easy to, to let that hurt you and to let that, that, that rough first 15 minutes get you down, even though they hadn't scored. But, but instead of doing that, Charlton really came back into the game. And for that next sort of hour to even 70 minutes before Sunderland got their goal back, I really didn't feel like Sunderland did much at all. No, I, I think, I, I mean, they're a good side. They're a good attacking side. I actually think their weakness, uh, I said it to you in a game the other uh, AFC Wimbledon, where mm. I thought their fullbacks were their weakness. Their, their back three was their weakness. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it had a great deal of grit and a great deal of skill to it. I thought Stockley bullied the life out of the three of them, if I'm honest. Um, and he picked on nine um, and, and really bullied him. I mean, didn't yeah. let him have a kick. I don't remember him. Uh, forcefully, physically getting on top of Stockley at any stage. I don't remember him coming over the top and powering a header. So Stockley had those three sort of airily in his pocket. Mm. Um, where, where, where they were, and that was their weakness, which I thought we, you know, because that was their weakness and we were threatening with Stockley, I, I always felt like there was a chance in us. Mm -hmm. But you have to give Sunderland credit. Why are they so dangerous? It's because of the way they attack teams. They're very, very good going forward. And it was the same at Bristol City under Lee Johnson. They had lovely little players in, in wide areas, just off the front player, who had lots of fluency, lots of movement, um, and they were tricky. And it looks like he's trying to replicate that at Sunderland. Mm. So it wasn't just, you know, when we talk about Amos as well, Benji, it wasn't just his saves, his, his actual decision-making. There's only one decision where you can levy a tiny, incy-wincy bit of criticism at him, and that was for the goal. Everything else was spot on. Every punch, every claim, every save he had to make, he was, he was outstanding. And you need that. And this is the point I was making earlier. You need that when you go to a team like Sunderland, like Hull, you know, the guys at the top who are flying, who are confident, who are scoring goals. You need your two centre-halves to be commanding from crosses coming in the box. They were. That gets a big tick. Anything they don't get, you need your full-backs to be in good covering positions. Tick. If, if anything goes beyond them, you get your keeper making a punch or, or a claim, tick. I mean, in terms of how they dealt with that, it was excellent. The only times I felt we got caught out was when they made those little sharp runs over the top and they just come short and then shuffled in behind us. And um, it was White, I think, who, who got in a few times and got in for the goal. But yeah, I, I, I would say that in, in, terms of, in terms of what he was expecting up there and what we got, so pleased as a Charlton ex-Charlton player, as a Charlton fan, the two guys that I commentate with, we know are Charlton fans, mm. you know, they, Terry and Greg, it was great to watch. You come off and you didn't feel like, oh, we stole that. It was like, no, that was a terrific performance away at Sunderland. Absolutely. Full stop. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely agree. And it would have felt like two points dropped, obviously, had Sunderland gotten their goal back, especially once Charlton got into a two-goal lead. And, you know, I was really, really happy for Ben Amos to see him have such a good game. And obviously, it's the, it's the unfortunate life of a goalkeeper that he had such an impressive game, but still made one sort of potential misjudgment and, and that got punished. But for a player who I think it's fair to say, has struggled for large parts of the season. Amos, he's, he's had a lot of good games, but he's also made mistakes and, and made some costly mistakes. I thought it was really, really good and really good for the whole team to see him back to sort of his commanding best, where, as you said, he's so dominant from crosses and constantly wanting to come for corners. And when you are having to defend deep and when you are having to soak up pressure, if you can have a goalkeeper that's going to relieve some of that pressure by, say, catching a corner so that you don't have to defend another corner or, or so you don't have to defend another cross coming into the box, that just can make such a world of difference and then at the other end to relieve pressure I mean you spoke about it a little bit but we have to give so much credit to Jaden Stockley because I don't think this win is remotely possible without him I mean the goal Gilby's goal came from a Stockley flick on in general pretty much all of Charlton's best moments came from long balls forward Stockley taking it down I mean as you said he absolutely bullied those poor Sunderland defenders at some, point in, at some point in the second half they stopped even <laughs> jumping for balls they just let him get it uh, that, that is a tactic that is yeah. a tactic though Benji so I've come across players in the past um where where you can't you're just having an off day or they've just got the measure of you I used to struggle with players that would run from five or six yards off, from they, they'd start inside the fullback and they'd run across me late, jump mm. across me. And I really struggled when I couldn't physically, you know, or yeah. wasn't able to physically hold somebody next to me. So when they were coming from four or five yards away and jumping across me late, I found it very, very difficult to defend that. It was one of the, one of the weaknesses, actually, in terms of airily. I was quite strong mm. airily, but that was one of my weaknesses. And in the end, the only way to deal with someone who's really good at that, and we actually had a player, Sean Bartlett, who was exceptional at that. So thank God he was in our team and not against us. I would have struggled against Sean. Um, is, is, is you do just drop. Because what you don't want to do is go in short, leave a great big gap between the fullback and the other centre-half that's with you. Or if it's three centre-halves, a, a gap between the centre-half and wing-back or the two centre-halves for someone like Gilby to exploit, you know, mm -hmm. for Forster Casket to make his run, or even the front wide boys to make a dart in, invertly in behind so in the end you just think well I'll tell you what let's concede that space let's concede that header and and stay in shape and they had to revert to that mm. you know be, and until the last 15 minutes where they got desperate they changed formation and actually it became a point of we need to start winning this first ball up and it was a substitute that come on funny enough that sort of at least he mixed Stockley about at least he stood in front of him went down the side of him at least he won a couple of headers and up to that point, he had pretty much a whole day to himself. He should have scored, actually. Yeah. And that would have really capped the performance. It would have been the icing on the cake for Stockley mm. because I thought his performance deserved a goal. He had a guilt-edge chance in that second half. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at the stats, actually. and they're, they're, I mean, this is where stats are just... You know, you, you can look on the paper and go, oh, shots on goal. Seven to Sunderland, three to Charlton. It looked like Sunderland dominated. But Stockley misses the header. Gilby had the block. We, had mm. the hit, we hit the post from the, uh, you know, the defender heading it in, you know, and, and that, I just don't, it makes it look like it's, it wasn't that kind of performance from us. And yeah. it was. And, you know, when you think back to the chances we had, we could have comfortably scored more goals. Mm -hmm. So they're a bit misleading the stats um, from, from Saturday's game. But yeah, it would have been nice if he'd have, um, yeah, capped that performance by, by putting that, that, that delivery. I think the delivery was from uh, Jai Steamy, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. Yeah. And I thought he played well as well, actually. Like I said, I don't think there was a poor performance, Benji. 
I really don't. I thought it was a real good, solid team performance throughout, with with some exceptional performances. Mm. And and on that, obviously, we've we've spoken in the past about certain Charlton teams that you played in. The you'd you'd come up against anyone, and you wouldn't feel daunted. You know, you'd come up against any team. It doesn't matter how good they were. You'd always think we have a chance in this game. And and Charlton, you know, on paper they have a very tough run in. They've had a very tough run in. They've already played two games in that sort of very tough run in. They had two wins against Doncaster and Sunderland, both sides that coming into the game were high in the table. Doncaster have now faltered terribly. But it appears that this Charlton team, and I'm not saying they weren't this way previously in the season, but it appears that now they feel that they're not scared of anyone. They're happy to take on anyone. What sort of do you think goes into creating that fearlessness amongst a, a group? And what, what happened for the, the best teams that you were in to make that possible? Uh, well, belief for a start, which, and belief comes with, with, with uh, results. Uh, there's no other. I mean, you can believe in yourself, but it will soon disappear if you're losing game after game. And uh, I mean, results are the key to pretty much anything because confidence builds, morale builds, uh, and when you've got confidence, morale is it's the one thing, Benji, that nobody can measure. Absolutely nobody. So you can you can look at a side on paper, and it's a good side on paper. But if it hasn't got confidence and morale and belief, it's just eleven individuals running around. And, you know, all of it has to gel and it, and it, it can take time. And, 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 you know, as much as you shouldn't get too big headed when you're on a run, you know, we've had this conversation before, you shouldn't get too disconsolate when, you know, you're having a bad run. Now, that result for me on Saturday is the one where I think you can walk back down the tunnel and, you'll let, and there'll be a little look around between players that says, we're in this. And I don't think that's been the case up to this point. I think we've always felt we're still in it. We're still in it. We're, mathematically, we're still in it. But actually, that result Saturday for me is the one where we get back on the bus driving back down. And you are starting to think, yeah, we're all right. Mm. We're a good side, actually. Um, and, and we're right in the mix. And although the running's tough, um, what I would say is that Charlton's form at the moment is outstanding. Mm. Uh, and, and we always talk about other people. And sometimes you've got to talk about yourself. <laughs> and, Charlton's, and Charlton's form is very, very good. It's, um, I'm just looking at the form table for the last five games and Charlton a second. And you talk about Doncaster, they're stone bottom. I mean, they yeah. couldn't have gone any colder, Doncaster, since the change of manager. They really couldn't. But interestingly, Lincoln picked up a win. Mm. And they were, they were they really were struggling. Mm. And I actually, I actually think that's a bit of a... A, a downer that we didn't play midweek last week exactly. because they're a, yeah and by the time we get round to playing them towards the end of the season their form and their confidence and morale might be a bit better than it was a week ago but that's you know you can't do anything about those things mm. but yeah I mean you, you you look you look at those those moments in games where or, or sorry those runs in in seasons where uh, you know you, you're up and down we've had the dips and and actually at times the criticism has been fair. You know, I think we tinkered with the two with the team too much at times. We tried to be too clever at times. Some of the um, performances, particularly at home, we know weren't quite where they should have been. We've not got the results that we should have done against the Swindons, against the uh, you know the the Plymouths. Yeah, the but yeah, I mean they've gone an incredible run now. To be honest, but but, but yeah. back, back when we did play them, they weren't on an incredible run, particularly away from home when they put four passes. That was. That was a very strange result when I saw that one come in. I, I didn't see that one coming at all. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's hard to put it into words actually because it just sort of develops, Benji. 
it develops with results and it develops with the confidence within the group. And, it, and, and funny enough, it, 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 it can develop with a, a, you know, in this case, a change of manager, but in our case, one or two players coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those players come in the building and you, you, you have no idea what to expect at first. Reputation stands for very little when you join a football club because it's actually what you do and produce in training in the games. But you can make one or two signings, they come in the door and you go, oh my God, what, what a player. What an unbelievable signing. Um, Was that and everybody for you guys? Well, no, no, no. Funny enough, the, the, Clive obviously is one that everyone talks about because he's the goal scorer. Mm. But the one player, the one player that I remember, everybody, and I mean everybody bar none, every single person in that Charlton dressing room, the one player where we all went, how on earth is this fella not been signed by somebody in the championship before. And he'd spent a long time in the lower leagues, and that was Mark Kinsella. Okay. He, he, we, we had him on trial for two weeks pre-season from Colchester because we, at that time, didn't have great deals of money. So it, was, it wasn't, oh, we'll just give you this for him. It was, can we have a look at him first in pre-season? You know, that's how short of money we were. We couldn't gamble. He cost us £150,000. He played two pre-season games. He didn't need to. He needed one because after the very first one, we were all like, "Got to sign this kid. He's unbelievable." Wow. Yeah, and that's the one. Not Clive. Cl- Clive was Clive, but that's the one for me where you just go, "How has this kid? How has he spent ten years at Colchester mm. in the League Two in the National Conference?" But you know that happens. People do slip through the net, and people. Mm-hmm. But I was. I will always say this: at, at some stage, if you're good enough. Whether you're 28 or you're 21, you will find your way to the right spot. You will. It might take a little bit longer than it should, um, but you will if you're good enough. You'll find, you will get there and it might take longer than it should. But um, yeah, that was the one where we all went, good God, you know, 150,000 steel, steel of the century that was. And worked out pretty well for everyone involved, Charlton and Mark, obviously. But um, yeah. you, you speak about the, the the Sunderland game potentially being almost like a like a little bit of a light bulb moment for the team, where they can look at each other and think, you know what, we actually are in this. We can kind of beat anyone. And you know, obviously, we weren't in the dressing room. We don't know exactly what they were saying to each other. But was there a game that you can remember in one of those? Because you had a few different runs in the various teams that you played in uh, times in in seasons where the team just felt unbeatable or you went on amazing runs to, to just take yourselves into a promotion fight or to, to take yourself, to get yourself promoted. Was, was there a game that sort of stands out to you? That was a little bit of a light bulb moment in that, in that way. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, Benji, I'm going to let you down here because okay. my, me- yeah, my memory of seasons and matches is really poor. It's really poor. You'd have to actually get the league table up, mm-hmm. the season up, and and I, I could then identify a game where I said, yeah, that, that was a pivotal one. We went there and we weren't expecting to win, and not only did we win, we won comfortably. It's those days. I remember playing Middlesbrough at home once. This isn't, this isn't one of the light bulb moments, but I remember uh, they had people like Nigel Pearson, who's gone on to be a, a wonderful manager. They were a very strong side. Uh, I think Brian Robson was manager. I, I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm I'm very sketchy, funny enough, about my, you know, the games that I've been involved in and, and the careers. I know bits and pieces. I remember big moments, but questions like that I struggle with. Um, but I remember Middlesbrough came to town to, to to the Valley, and it was a it was a, we're playing Middlesbrough. This is a big side, you know. They're a good side. You know, if we get a draw here, we're great. And we pumped them. It was three nil, and it was one way traffic. 
And those are the games, funny enough, that where you're expected to get a draw, it's a side that's come down from the Premier League, they've still got fantastic names throughout their squad, and you pump them, and you go, actually, we're, we're better than we think we are. And, and that's one of the criticisms I think I would say about the Charlton sides that I was in from, say, 96 to 2002. We were better than we thought we were as individuals, and we were better than we thought we were as a team. We always, we always looked elsewhere to look for good players and for good teams. And actually, we were one, but we just didn't think it. You look back now and we were one for what Charlton had, for what Charlton is, for what, you know, the money it had, the budget it had, the people, the, the, the pool that it could pick from for transfers. Mm. We were a good side. We were a competitive side. And, and actually, I don't, I, I don't think we recognised how good a side we were. And quite, I think that's quite a blessing, actually, mm. because what it does is it stops you being... It stops you getting carried away with yourself. It stops you being big-headed. It stops you being, you know, it stops your ego getting away with you. Takes but, a little bit of pressure off, also potentially. Yeah, yeah, and 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 but there are games where, you know, you 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 go to places and you think we're not going to get anything out of this, and it's quite a negative way for a player to think. But you're just going on the history, you know, or or, or that current history of that season, or they might, like I said, you know, they're a stronger side than you on paper. And then you go and tear them to pieces. And that's, that's how it, it's, it, it doesn't happen in one game, Benji. It, it mm-hmm. sort of chips away at you. But what, what, you know, this is what I'm saying about this one. So you go to Doncaster and win 1-0. I don't think that's a game where you suddenly go, we're in there with a mix. Because Doncaster are so out of form. Yeah. But you, you do chalk it off as a great clean, clean sheet and, and a vital three points. But then when you go to Sunderland, who hadn't lost at home, I think, since the 19th of January, 14 games unbeaten uh, home and away and no one's expecting you to get anything but at best a point and you put on that kind of performance and then you so then you start tying up all the results we've had in the last month you know and how the place is sort mm-hmm. of being perceived from us on the outside it's very buoyant you know Jason gets pumped up into, into which I think is a great move Jason you're getting put into that first team role and I think that's a lovely addition you know again it's you get the Alan Kirbishley stand there's a real good feel good factor to the whole place and we said this last week and results like that just elevate it even more you know what you don't want is and, and, and they won't Nigel won't get carried away and the players won't get carried away they know there's a tough set of fixtures left mm. but Ipswich at home funny enough is probably one and, and I don't know if you saw the criticism from their manager during the week about I their did, yeah they've been I mean, a shocking for him well, and that was quite damning what he come out and said. Basically, you know, you've you've taken your hearts out and thrown them away, you know. And that's the worst criticism I think you can level at a player is that his mm-hmm. heart's not in it. I mean, just never got levelled at me, but or, or or any teams really I was I've played in. But to tell a professional football player he's got no heart or desire from his manager. manager. Yeah, well, I think that I think they know they've got enough points to survive. I'm just looking at the table now. Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry, that's the form table. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just looking. They've, they're ninth, so they're not even out the running. I mean, they're not even out the running. They're, they're still tucked in off just behind the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And he's still coming out with that. I, I, I don't know if he wants a reaction out of them or it's something to do with you know. In the, I'm having a clear out in the summer. I'm just <laughs> letting you know. You know, you, you're getting cleared out because you're you're not what I want. You're not what I need. But either way, it was a an extremely um, damaging. Yeah. For a player to hear that, it's damaging. It's it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's one or two ways to go in there. You just mug it off. 
no, I'm not playing for this guy, not having him. Or you go, I'll show him. And that's the response. And he, you know, the um, downside to that is he's got to find the players that think, you know, I'll show him. If he picks the ones that go, get, get, get stuff, mate, I'm not playing for you. Then it's going to be a catalogue of errors and mistakes and and, and poor results from now to the end of the season. But Mm. yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, like I said, Charlton are very much the other way. Everything's really positive. And every decision that's, that's being made at the moment is a cracking decision. And I'm not talking about playing wise. I'm talking about throughout the club. Mm. You know, and Thomas Sangar quite rightly gets the uh, credit, but it won't just be Thomas. There'll be other people giving him advice that, that, that leads to these wonderful decisions that are across the board. And then the results are the icing on the cake where that elevates it again. You know, and if we can just keep the momentum going, keep the positivity mm. backed up with, a, you know, the results, then, then it does make you really, we've spoken about this as well. You know, there's always a team that's on a run. That's positive. That's confident, and they get into that playoffs late. Into the playoffs, that's the question. We'll see. Listen, we'll see. Let's not take anything for granted because no. you know what football's like. When you think you're you're getting somewhere, it it bites you on the backside. But but certainly at the moment, it's a good it's a good place to be involved in, mm. isn't it? You know, Absolutely. you'll go to the games, you'll see the smiles on the faces. Uh, it's just such a shame, I guess. And we say this over and over again such a shame that the supporters aren't there yeah you know because they really would that that if the valid if, if the chance supporters get a sniff that something like this is happening it will swell the crowds up 100 mm. percent. you know if you were struggling around the sort of 12 15 000 market it would bump up no problem at all you know and um yeah it would, only, be a, it would be a good place to be yeah i mean i can only imagine what the uh away what the away stand would have been like at the at the Sunderland game because I imagine that would have been absolutely rocking. But it, it's interesting, actually. You mentioned a moment ago one of one of those recent decisions where it seems like you know all the decisions are, are good ones at the moment. And one of those recent ones was elevating Jason Ewell from under 23's manager to part of the first team coaching staff. And I wanted to bring this up anyways before you mentioned it, but it gives me a nice segue. Jason was someone that you played with a bit and was in squads with you. What, what, what was he like as a player? And did you see him becoming a coach at that time? Did he seem to have a mind for it as a player? No, I don't, I don't think any player looks at another player and says he's going to be a coach. There might be one or two exceptions, but by and large, Scott Parker. Scott mm-hmm. Parker couldn't look people in the eye. Very, very shy young player. Um, but then as he grew and as he, you know, Scott's got like four or five kids. And as you grow and you have your family and you become a man and you get to the latter stage of your career, you're not the same person that you were 10 years ago. So Jason came in from AFC Wimbledon and... and um, he had a confidence about him, you know. I mean, he's an opening statement at the training ground. I think Curb said, would you like to introduce yourself? And he, he stood up off his chair and he went, I'm Jason, you're Charlton Athletics record signing. Nice to meet you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but he got a laugh. It was funny. It was funny. And he backed it up. He was a good player. And he's a smashing fella. Uh, and we say this about a lot of Charlton players. He was a smashing fella. Worked hard. Um, Ernie Stripes as a player. And as a coach, you know, that under-23's job, he's developed. He's not rushed. You know, quite a few get the 23's job and can't wait. I can, I can, do, I can be a manager. I can get, let, me, let me up there now. Um, he did get pushed up with Carol Fry, which, you know, again, I think Jason, if you sat him down, would probably say not the right opportunity, not the right time. You know, probably needed to go back with the 23's and not get pushed into a situation with an inexperienced mm-hmm. manager in a really big job. I think what Jason needs is someone like Nigel, 
an experienced manager where he can sit there now, uh, you know, for, for a couple of seasons and just suck all the knowledge, suck everything out of what's going on around him, recruitment, you know, tactics, decision-making, you know, and I think if he sits there for a couple of years and the team does well, I think then he'll be in a great position moving forward. If it's not to be with Charlton, if he does fancy branching out on his own, I think he'll be in a great position to do so. But he's certainly earned the opportunity, Benji, with um, with with the amount of time that he spent developing as a manager and as a coach. And also, you know, the, not only the time, but the, the work that he did in that time was very impressive. And the work that he did with the under-23s was pretty much continuously impressive. And obviously, you know, the, the Charlton Academy, we don't need to speak too much about it. We all know how impressive the academy continues to be. And he was obviously a big part of that over the last few years. And now he gets his opportunity. As you said, you know, he, he, he gets the chance now to learn from a very experienced manager who's done it before and done it at a few different clubs. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the makeup of this, Charl- this current Charlton's coaching squad, uh, coaching staff feels very unique to me. And it feels pretty rare because normally when a manager goes to a club, he brings in his own coaches. And that's been the case with Nigel Atkins at pretty much every club he's been at where he's brought in. Andy Crosby has been his assistant, I think, pretty much everywhere he's been. And this time he's come into the club and his two assistants are Jason Ewell and Johnny Jackson, who are really Charlton through and through. And I think it, it seems like it's, it's created a really good atmosphere with everyone yeah. because obviously the players know and really like Johnny Jackson. The young players will know Jason Ewell very well. And, and then you've got Nigel Atkins, who's this experienced winner to kind of oversee it all. Yeah. And, and I've never been in their position in terms of being a league manager. Mm. But when you're a manager, you pick your staff. Now, I, I, I didn't hang around long enough to have to worry about, you know, changing the setup that I was in. I, was, I just didn't hang around long enough. I had a couple of jobs. They lasted two or three years. But when you're Nigel Atkins, and I've got friends who have been managers and in the Premier League, and I can call them friends because I can call them up and have a chat with them. So um, I know from their experiences that, you can have somebody that you take with you every job until the jobs start becoming difficult. So you don't do very well at this job, job A. You then get another opportunity, which is job B. That doesn't go well either. And actually, when you go away and evaluate, you think, right, maybe it's time for me to have somebody different. Maybe it's time for me to work with somebody different. Maybe I go into a building and for popularity reasons, I work with what I've got. And I don't mean popularity for you as a person, mm. but the club at the time. And Charlton was ready to keep Johnny Jackson here. It wasn't ready to let Johnny go. It, and promoting Jason is the right thing. And actually, I don't want to put Nigel out of work. Of course not, because he's doing a brilliant job and he's got his two, two and a half year contract. But moving forward, if you wanted to do this as an owner, you have your next management team there mm. waiting. Right? That's not to say I'm kicking you know, Nigel down, down, down in, in the curb, he's going to go on and do, a, uh, you know, the job that he's going to do. But when the timing is right, if Nigel wants to move on or it's not going so well at some point and, and a change is made, if you really want to, you have the next setup in line waiting. If you want to, mm. if you want to make a complete split and a complete change, you can. But my, my understanding about, you know, Johnny and Jason, if they're young, hungry managers, it's a perfect time to stick them next to Nigel Atkins. Mm. It's a perfect time for Nigel to use them. They're going to they're gonna be so enthusiastic. They're going to be so helpful. They're going to be so 
um, desperate to learn and, and put themselves in a position, whenever that may be, to push on into management themselves, whether it's individually or if it's as a pair, you know, as in, as in one might go, well, I'd love to be your assistant moving forward. You know, it, these things happen because you can't always dictate where you go and what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very, very, very fortunate. Only one or two, well, there's only half a dozen managers in the world that can go, not taking it, I'm going to wait for X job. The rest of us, you're, you're getting what you take, you know, what mm-hmm. you're given, sorry. You're getting what you're given. Um, but hopefully, um, you know, in, in Jason's respect, yeah, just, I, I, I just think mentally you'll be in a place where it's learn more. Mm. I'm now with a senior setup. He's not been with a senior setup. And it is different. I don't care what anyone says. I've done all of them. I've done, I've done the reserves. I've done the youth team and I've done first team. And I love the youth team, but it's different. It's different than a senior setup. Um, it's completely different mentality and it's a completely different approach. Mm. Um, and, and so Jason's going to have to adjust to that over the, you know, he'll still be that wonderful coach. He'll still be able to put on his wonderful training sessions, but sometimes the senior players are a little bit more difficult to get on board, you know, particularly if they're not having a good time themselves. Um, and, and you've got to learn to manipulate players to, 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 to still enjoy training when they're not in a great place, you know, so there's all that to, to, to learn and experience moving forward. Um, and he'll do that. He's a clever boy, Jason. He, you know, and he's, like I said, he's a cracking fella. Deserves the shot, and and fingers crossed for all of them. Actually, that it, I mean, it's going well. I hope it goes even better. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems it seems to me like they they match up well with Adkins in the sense that Adkins is also someone who is full of enthusiasm and wants the people that he works with to be hungry to learn. He wants the people that he works with to always want to be able to do more. And it seems to me that both Johnny Jackson and Jason Ewell are that kind of character where they're so passionate about what they do and they're so excited about what they do that they always kind of want to be doing more and they always want to be learning more. So I think, you know, Obviously, only time will truly tell, but it seems on paper, at least, to be a very good setup. And I think Charlton fans are quite lucky that they've, they've managed to keep both Johnny Jackson and Jason Ewell, as well as bringing an experienced manager like Nigel Atkins. But obviously, um, this has given Charlton a platform now to hopefully push on for promotion this season. But we got an interesting question from Lawrence on Twitter, where he has asked, do you think this team would be ready for the championship if they were to get promoted this season? Honest answer is probably not, but then I would argue that most teams coming out of League One is, I, you know, people say the championships to the Premier League is the biggest jump, right? But, but because of the capping system that was in place at the start of this season, I think League One teams for this season, most of them won't be ready, if any, because they've had to juggle with that budget and they've had to keep uh, or gamble in certain areas on a loan signing here, a loan signing there, a youth team player, because they just don't have the budget. So I think more than ever this year, the gap between League One and the Championship is probably at its biggest. And so therefore, I'm not sure many League One squads are, 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 are there or thereabouts. You wouldn't take many League One squads and just not make any changes and they'd mm-hmm. survive in, in the Championship. So I do think there's a, a core of players that are ready um, but I, we've, we've had this discussion about too many loan signings I do like I do like the fact you know that we've you know that he's playing players that are signed on you yeah. know he, he, and he recognised that and stated that mm. Nigel Adkins you know I do like that because I think 
there's no value in getting promoted with six lone players in your side. <laughs> they're all going to go, you yeah. know, and leaves great big gaping holes in your squad. So, in that respect, um, there's a lot of work to do. Mm. But there are players in that squad that, that maybe three months ago, two months ago, we would have all said that needs 10 new players. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're saying that. But what we are saying is there's, there's certainly a, a great deal of recruitment to be done. Um, but what I would express to Charlton fans, whoever's listening in, is that if, if you stay, if we were to get promoted, so I'll say this directly to Lawrence as he asked the question, um, if we were to get promoted, then uh, you've got to have an adjustment year. Don't expect anything other than an adjustment year. And some people love to think that, you know, momentum, squads, you know, Sheffield United have just done it recently, book, book, League One Championship, Premier League. Um, but I just think the capping killed League One this year. I really Absolutely. do. And I, I, yeah, and I think there's a lot of work to be done for whoever gets promoted. Mm. Um, and so I do think, unfortunately, for any League One side that gets up this year, if you look at that side that went up in, you can go back to the, the playoff winning side against Sunderland, or you can go back to Chrissy Powell's side that, that won in 2011. They had a nucleus of a squad, uh, and by nucleus, I mean at least 10, if not 12 players, that you knew could cope in the championship. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure this squad has that. Um, and that was the beauty of those two squads. They had, they had a very big budget for League One, and so they could bring championship players into League One for a season or two, and you could actually, you know, give those guys a contract good enough for the championship in League One and say, look, if, if we aren't out in two years, you can leave. They haven't been able to do this year. So that's why those squads had players in it that were of championship standard. And I'm not, you know, please don't think I'm not saying this one hasn't got any that are championship standard. In every squad, you'll have players that can go up a level and will sustain their performances and will be good enough for the next level. I, I levy that myself. People didn't think I could play in the Premier League, you know, and I and I did, and I could. All right, but people would have said Brownie won't make it in the Premier League. We've got to get rid of him in the summer. But I got my chance and I could play. And so there's players in this squad that will go mm. up to the Championship and will comfortably be able to perform. And they will adjust. If you look at Forster Kasky, who I've worked with, his performances this year, the way he's been, the leadership qualities he's starting to show, actually. He's starting to command other players around him. Mm-hmm. He's really growing into the latter. I mean, he's only 26, but it's... Like I said to you before, you tend not to say too much when you're 21, 22, 23. And then as you develop, you get more confidence that what you're saying is right. You can start commanding others. And I'm seeing that in in Jake now. Jake, I think, is one that we may need to batten down for a couple of years because I do think he will adjust and I do think he'll be good enough to play in the in the championship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have got players that, that certainly will. Uh, but I do think there's going to be enough, have to be an awful amount of work uh, uh, you know, during the off season, uh, to, to make us competitive. Mm. And uh, Lawrence, I told you I talk too much. That's why people say yeah. I talk too much, Benji. That's the, that's a five minute answer to a one minute, you know, a question that I need a minute answer. Can't help it. Oh, but there were there were lots of nuggets of gold in that answer. I I, I really enjoyed listening to it, especially whenever. Whenever I, uh, I judge a player who's gone up with a team and I think they're not going to be good enough, I'm going to remember they could just be a Steve Brown where you rule them out uh, and they, then they prove themselves to, listen, to be able to step that, up. That, yeah, that Charlton squad had, had a half a dozen players that you would have gone, won't, won't make it. 
you know, Premier League's going to swallow him up. But, you know, it's like I said to you before, that's why I like intelligent players. Intelligent players can adjust. When you rely on one asset, you know, if it's pace, you can you, you can adjust. You know, if, if physically you, you hit the ground running, you can still do it. But intelligent players adjust. And, um, uh, you know, and there was a few of us in that squad, I think, were probably not not dismissed as not good enough, but certainly, oh, I think they're going to struggle, you know, and, and we didn't. We are our own. And uh, there's plenty of players in this squad that will do the same. Absolutely. And um, Lawrence's answer, by the way, just uh, he's, he's concerned that, that the squad isn't, isn't ready right now and that if they went up, they would get a lot of, a lot of uh, bad results in, the, in, a, in a way that Wickham this season are kind of getting crushed mm. a bit, uh, quite a few I d- times. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't peg us in the Wickham situation. Yeah. Um, we've got, to, we've got. I mean, you have to say that Gareth Ainsworth has done a wonderful job, mm. but they had the smallest budget in League One, and that's the upside, I guess, to what the capping system tried to develop. And I know it wasn't, it wasn't in place last year when they did it, was it? No, it wasn't. but they were in, a, they were in a COVID hit season, and they got up on points per game, didn't they? Rather, they got into the playoffs on points per game. Yeah, so it's a very, very unusual season, um, and and they just don't have the finances at Wickham mm. to be able to recruit to put them into a position where they're where they're um, competitive. So what they've done is they've taken the championship season as a bonus season. Everything we make financially is a bonus in this year. Fully expecting to go down. Go they down. wouldn't have said we'll just go down, but fully expecting to go back down. Yeah. And then what they won't have done is they won't have adjusted their finances off the pitch for the championship. They would have kept them at League One League level one. and they'll use all the finances that they've gained in the championship to then make the additions for League One to make them a stronger League One club, which is probably about where Wickham are, mm. if we're really being honest. Charlton aren't. Charlton are an upper championship stroke lower Premier League side, in my opinion, as a football club. Mm. They're a Burnley. They're a Crystal Palace. They're all at Fulham. They're the ones that are good. They're good enough teams, and they're good. Sorry, they're good enough football clubs to be in the Premier League. But because the way finances are and the, and the way squads come and go in terms of their strength, and, they, and, and then they become weak, you know, they should be yo-yoing between having a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year period in the Premier League, then maybe three or four years in the Championship, five years in the Championship. But you know, we've lost our way a little bit, as many clubs do when they fall out of the Premier League, and that's a whole different topic about. Absolutely about the way that the money's distributed, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, no, I think we're different at Wickham because we do have the finances, mm. certainly now, under Thomas. And not to be outrageous and go for promotion, but certainly to strengthen, to be strong mm. enough to compete. Yeah, my, my view on it is that in an ideal world, I would like to see the business being done this summer not actually differ that much depending on the division that the club is in. I mean, obviously, when you're in the championship, at times you can attract players that maybe you just can't in League One. But now, without the salary cap, there's an ability to build in League One for the championship and an ability to build in League One and not just get players on one-year deals, but actually try to get some players who can be cornerstones for a team going forward. And I think, you know, we, we've spoken about this before, but Chris Powell in the in the season before Charlton got promoted or in the season that they did get promoted, his his recruitment and his his idea of how Charlton would do it would be that they would get a bunch of players who were good enough for the championship, 
playing in League One so that when they went up to the championship, they would be ready for it and they wouldn't have to do another squad overhaul. And that's what I'd like to see with Charlton if they don't go up. I'd like to see them starting to build a team. And, you know, maybe you can't get the full 18-man, 23-man squad who are ready for the championship, but I'd like to see them building a real core of the team that can do it in the championship, even if they have to do it for one more season in the in League One. And if they do go up, even better, I'd still like to see them, obviously, creating a team that has the core that can do it in the championship. And as you said, I think there are players in this team who can, but I also think that it's going to need, you know, a lot of players have contracts running out. That just is the reality of the situation. And it's going to need a big summer of recruitment, regardless of the division. But I think would be a shame to rebuild in a, in a short-term manner as opposed to trying to rebuild for the championship, even if Charlton are in League One. Yeah, I don't think Thomas Sangard will short-side himself in that mm-hmm. respect. I think he'll have all bases covered. Benji seems to be a, you know, a very good operator in terms of business. So what I would say is I think every squad has to have a core of players that you expect to be playing every week. Mm. It then has to have four or five that are for, trying to force their way into be that player that plays every week, which pushes somebody out and maybe they move on or they accept their situation. And then it has a core of players that are little gambles that are young. They're two and a half, three and a half year deals. If they get in your side, you can improve. Jai Simi is very much a player I see in that mould where we've signed him on a, on a three and a half year contract. It excites me. I love the, I love the assets he has. He's powerful. He's got a turn of pace. He's happy to go outside and inside. He mm. crossed that ball in for Stockley with his left, but he can come inside and play on his right. What he needs to tidy up is his decision-making and passing. You know, he needs to find players better with his passes, but he's young and he's learning. And I think there's a player there that if we develop right, and if he develops, this is the key to it all. You know, you can develop almost two identical players and, and one will develop better than the other just because he, he processes things better. Uh, and his confidence and morale is higher, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing the differences that can be made. But he is certainly a player I think we can develop. And you, you need two or three of them as well, that when they're on fire, they're in the team. But, but understand that there may be a patch where they're, they're not playing very well at all. Just bring them out. You know, we've got a year, we've got two years to develop this kid. You know, don't kill him by playing him every week. And that's another thing that I think, Charlton have had to go through this year. They've had to play players out of form. They've had to play mm-hmm. players that have been probably not in the right place mentally because we've been so stretched. And, you know, that, you know, and again, I think we're going to get into a position moving forward under the new owner and the management team where you can give someone a rest and you can bring somebody up because they're not quite where they need to be mentally or physically. Um, and we haven't had that this year, which makes, you know, which makes this year, it's been a, it's been a really tough year. And the fact that we're fighting in there, you know, scraping around to try and nick a playoff place is, is actually in itself a remarkable thing with all the issues we've had, with all the injuries we've had, with players having to play with minor knocks. Players have had to play out of form, you know. And, and so credit to the, to the squad for doing that. But moving forward, you certainly want to see that core of the team, don't you? That 8, 9, 10, if we're lucky, 11, 12, if we've got the finances. Um, that you think would all be able to adjust into championship football, no problem. The, the, the downside to that, Benji, is that takes finances. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think the 2011 squad was four and a half million, um, which is a good budget for League One, a really good budget. And the problem with that, if you give somebody that kind of budget, then there is an expectation mm-hmm. and there is a pressure that comes from getting results every week because 
you know, and I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know here, but if you give someone four and a half million, you better be close to getting up the entire season. The minute you fall out of the playoffs on a four and a half million, million pound budget, you're good, you're, you're probably going to be moved on. Mm. And it, um, it, yeah, no, it certainly, it does, it does create expectation and it, it, it can, I guess, lead to, lead to problems if you don't go up. I think, you know, Sunderland have been saying kind of now for a few seasons that they need to go up every single season. They need to go up. And as we know, it's just not that easy. Uh, this division is hard even if you do spend the money. But uh, I, I do think that it um, need to see some more longer-term building, which I think, you know, is the plan. That is what Thomas Sangard wants to do. He doesn't want to go off of one-year contracts and loan deals. He wants to build for the future. And it does seem like the way to go for, for this club and, and for the team. But um, we're kind of running out of time a little bit, but I've got a couple other things I wanted to chat about. I was, I was listening to Kyle Andrews, does a very, very good uh, Charlton photographer. I imagine most listeners will know, but he does a very good podcast on mental health and football, the Mental Wellballing podcast. And he had Connor Washington on it um, a couple days ago, yesterday, two days ago, whatever it was. And they were discussing just how hard it's been in the, in the time of COVID to bond off the pitch and how, you know, a big part of a football team is how you are in, in your interpersonal relationships. And for an example, Ronnie Schwartz here living away from his yeah. family, not able to hang out with, with, not even really able to make friendships and just how difficult that's been. So, so my question for you is, A, just how important has that been in your teams that, that, that sort of mingling and that being able to create bonds, be what the best group that you were a part of is. And I'll, I'll go over these. We, we, we can, I can. Yeah. You, might, you might need to remind me of this. Well, <laughs> see what was the best sort of off the pitch bonding, whether it was an individual activity an individual uh, travel to somewhere with the team. So, so that's the A, B and C of the question. And I'm happy to remind you about each part of it as we go. Right. Okay. So, you're already going to have to remind me about A. What was what was so what was A, the... a was just, just just how important is this in a, in a football team? This, well, this bond, just the just the bonding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I touch on Ronnie Schwartz. I feel so sorry for Ronnie. You know, at what seemed like a wonderful move in January. You know, coming over to Charlton, hadn't played for a while. He was a bit ring rusty, but none of us knew that he had a pregnant wife back at home. None of us knew. She wasn't going to travel. And then, obviously, he's found it difficult to get in the team. He's missed the penalty where he looked crushed. I've got to be honest, he looked crushed when he missed that penalty. I was at that game. And for Ronnie, things will be really difficult. You know, he can't just walk down the road and have a pint in a pub with a mate. You know, he can't, you know, and have a chat. You know, he's it's, it's, it's back to a, a, probably a, an apartment or a flat. I don't know if he's got a three, but, you know, I, I don't know if he's got a house waiting for when his family comes over already. but be lonely times for Ronnie you know and, and what I would say in football now at least it's recognised and got mechanisms for that so I had a good friend and I'm still still friends with him now I'm going to visit him in a couple of months uh, Mike Hammond in, 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 in America and if I'd have known then what I knew now I would have made 10 times the effort I made as a player mm. to accommodate Mike and Gina his wife because they literally finished college in California. Well, you know America very, very well, Benji. But he finished, which is a very sunny state. It's a very, you know, gorgeous part of the world to live in terms of weather. And he got dumped in the middle of a miserable, cold, wet, rainy London. And we didn't have people like Tracy Lieburn showing you the sites, showing you where to live, showing you the best areas, making sure you settled in well. 
making sure you knew where all the other players that, that didn't come from this area were living. You didn't have that. And Mike got dumped in the middle of London. And like I said, if I knew, uh, knew then what I know now, I would have made sure that we got together a lot more than we did. You know, I made more effort than most. You know, I went to visit them and, and so on and so forth, which is probably why we remain friends. But, but, but back, back then, um, the reason Mike left so quickly was because they, they had two years and, and were literally just on their own. So they left. He said, you know, Gina had no one to talk to. She had no one to get on with. Um, you know, she had no interaction with other players' wives. They, 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 she was just on her own. And Mike would go into training, come home, and she'd be miserable. So I'm giving you a first-hand experience mm. there of what, what, what Mike said to me. You know, and he said, you know, things were really difficult. Well, they got to a point where, even if he was in the team, he wasn't necessarily enjoying himself. It, that didn't make it better. His wife was still miserable indoors. She was still not going out to see people. She didn't have someone she could go for a glass of wine with. That, and she, they lived in a, quite a nice little part of London, actually. But she had nowhere to go, no one to visit, because things were different in 1994. You know, 95, 96, he was here. And, and, and you were very isolated. And if you, you know, if you didn't get to know people or if you weren't very good at mixing, you know, you were, you were struggling to make, uh, make friends and, and you were very, very much on your own. And that, that absolutely has an impact on your mentality um, when you're walking into the training ground, when you're walking into the dressing room on a match day, you know, and I've spoken to Carl a couple of times, you know, and I know he's a big advocate of, you know, well-being, mental health. And it's very, very interesting, actually, because, you know, they're, they're, you cannot believe the difference between player A and player B mentally. You can't. And, and player A can just be absolutely self-sufficient, doesn't need any help, you know, and doesn't make him stronger or, or anything like that. They just don't need your help. They're fine. And then player B, he needs constant help. You know, he needs constant reassurance. He needs, you know, and, and, and we didn't recognise that in the world of football and, uh, and we're, we're still not brilliant, I don't think. Mm. still think we've got to be much better if you look at Madison and the post that he just got out. You know, really struggling to the point where guy needs help as far as mm. I can see. He really needs help. Someone needs to scoop him up and help him. Not just look at it and go, oh, we kind of knew that. Yeah, all right, well, if we know it, let's, let's do something that can help him. He's clearly, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's not, not, he's not well, but he, you, if you're posting something like that, where you're basically saying, I'm in a job that so many people would love to do, and I hate it, and I hate going in, and it's made me miserable. Someone needs to scoop him up and help him out. You know, we should have things in place where the PFA swoop in right now. Bang, this geezer's in trouble. Let's give him whatever he needs. Let's mm. make sure he gets the, sees the right people, meets the right people. Make sure we get... And they don't. And it's, it's kind of the same, Benji. We, I mean... We're going well off tangent. It was kind of the same with, with injuries. The, the, the way players were treated back in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s where you got injured, they jabbed you or they just stitched you up and they just back out again. And half of us can't walk straight. You know, we can't. And the PFA didn't really care. They don't care now. You know, what they care about is our education program second to none. You know, if you want to go on a course, we'll send you on a course. Well, that's great. But I, I can't get to the course because I can't stand up for three hours on <laughs> You know, I can't sit in a chair for four hours anymore because my legs won't, you know, they're free. And, they, and there's so many things they've got wrong. Mental health is probably the biggest thing they've got wrong because I don't think they saw how much it can affect a player. 
you know we're talking about that can lead to addictions it can lead to all sorts of things you know uh, sadly it can lead to fatality you know you can take your own life um if it really gets bad and um that's something that absolutely needs to, to be addressed and we need to be better uh, as an industry without any shadow of a doubt um, and sometimes it can be as simple as what I was talking about with Mike and Gina. They just need to know where everyone is. They need to get connected. They need to have people that can spend time with away from the football pitch. And then other people need real help. You know, they need to understand why their brain's doing to them what it's doing to them. And that's that needs professional people to then be, be employed by the PFA to then help. But yeah, it's um, better go to part B because I'm getting too carried away. No, it's a it's a really important tangent, and I'm glad that we that that you went down that tangent because you know the the case of Marcus Madison is one that um, that I think you know people have to take notice of because people are quick to judge Marcus Madison as a person, and they don't know him. I don't know him. I mean, I imagine you don't know him. We we don't know him. No, as not a at all. We we just occasionally read things or or we assume things based on you know what he's going to post on social media or whatever. But that's not actually knowing someone, and it's unfair to make assumptions about him based on that. And as as you rightly say, as an industry, we need to be doing more to make sure that people are getting help that they need because there's still and it's an outdated idea, but there's still this idea at times that if you're a professional footballer, you're doing a job that hundreds thousands of people would love to do so you must be happy because you're doing a job that's incredible and at times it is incredible i imagine but at the same time yeah. you know things are going on in people's lives and they can still be desperately unhappy and we have to take notice of that and we have to help them because it just can't keep going on a on a on a, on a place like this where you know people get into such horribly desperate situations because they're not given any help but um we will move on to part b but i am glad that you brought that up because it's a really important tangent but part b was sort of the the best team spirit you were a part of the best the best right team. so so somebody asked some point i read at some point on twitter when you ask people ask questions someone said oh, we need a pre-season story most bonding sessions are done pre-season because it's kind of allowed mm. you can do what you want you can get absolutely mangled and uh and, and the manager will let you and if you have a performance away at say exeter on a tuesday night where everyone's had a good sunday and it's not a great performance, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It's kind of no one cares because it's, you, you, you know, the real stuff starts in a few weeks' time. Um, but the best bonding session I ever had, there was, there was one night out in London that was arranged in around the 2000 time. That was a particularly good, good bonding session where everyone just right, we need a night out. And wives were invited players it was a big night there was 50 60 people on it and um, I remember that being a fantastic evening but the one where it's just the players we had a pre-season down in the west country and uh, we stayed at St Melian which is a fantastic Jack Nicholas golf course and then we got to play a little bit of golf for the golfers we got to have nights out I think in Torquil wherever we you know wherever the nearest place was um, but we play I'll give you a little pre-season story I'll tie this in with two uh, two stories in one you get near Benji right so we try we traveled down and we played Dorchester right and uh we win I don't know five six seven nil and we travel from Dorchester so that's we're leaving Dorchester six we're going down to St Million which is another two half out two and a half hours we have done we get there about nine nine thirty and you you all shared a room I think I was in with him with with Graham Stewart at that particular time um and we were in a hut or a, sorry, a, you know, a, 
a, a building on the side of the 16th that, that accommodated 10. So five rooms of two, right? And we got into our rooms, got unloaded. It's about 10.30 at night. We've just beaten Dorchester. Our next game's not till either Monday or Tuesday. So the shout goes up, who wants a drink? Who wants a drink? So I think everyone went, oh, let's, let's order the drinks. Let's order the drinks down. So we ordered all the drinks. And, uh, and then two players, I can't, I'm not going to name any names, right? Two players went, oh, who's hungry? So everyone went, yeah, starving, starving. So these two players went, tell you what, I'm going to go back up to the main building and I'm going to get 30 miles bars, 30 Kit Kats and 60 cans of whatever, Coke and lemonade so we can drink and have a snack. Anyway. So the player, these two players disappear. And uh, about an hour later, everyone's going, <laughs> where have those two gone? Where on earth have those two gone? And, uh, and we all just slowly filter off to bed. Don't give it any thought. It's getting late. We all filter off to bed, midnight and beyond. Anyway, there's a, there's a knock at my door at half past five because I was nearest the front door. Half past five in the morning, right? And this fella goes, sorry, mate. Sorry to trouble you. I said, what, what, what is it? He said, one of your lads, he's lying on the 16th green, covered in <laughs> sick. <laughs> he's covered in sick. He said, my governor's coming in a minute. He's going to turn the CCTV cameras on. You want to go and pick him up, bring him in. So anyway, went out, picked the lad up, you know, got dogs abused because he was not in a good way. <laughs> he had grass cuttings all stuck to his face. He's sick all over himself. So I dragged him in, got him back in the building. And, uh, and, and uh, woke up for training, right? So we wake up uh, for breakfast first. So you go up for breakfast and then you, you pile on the bus and go off for training. So we're walking up back up to the main building and down from the main building, there's a hole, like, I don't know, the 18th or whatever. And it's got Mars bars, Kit Kats, <laughs> all littered on the journey that they made on the way home, right? And, and neither of them made it back. And... Uh, and, and they, they honestly couldn't see straight the pair of them training the next day. I don't know how they got through it. I don't know how they got through it at all. I mean, we obviously helped. We kept the ball away from them as much as we could. You know, we didn't pass to them because we knew as a group. We would find another player, like blatant pass on five yards. You'd go 20 yards through them to the <laughs> wide player, you know, just, just, just doing your best. And then obviously Curbs loved the run and we was all run at the end and they both felt awful. You know, they really were struggling to get through it, but they got through it. And uh, yeah, it was one of those bonding weeks though where everything was brilliant. It started like that. It got better and better. We had a couple of nights out. Results were immaterial, to be honest. And that's what people don't understand about pre-season. To the players, to the management, of course, you don't want to go down to Torquay and lose 3-0, but it's kind of immaterial. Mm. You're just finding your feet fitness-wise. You're getting minutes on the board. You're having a bonding session and things like that can happen. Um, yeah, and it was a really, really good week. And we went on to have a fantastic season. I think we got promoted back up to the, the Premier League that year. Uh, it was either our first year back in the Premier League in terms of after promotion, or it was the promotion year, I can't remember. But those kind of weeks, they stick with you. You know, the golf was fantastic. The company was fantastic. The, 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 the whole week was just brilliant from start to finish. And... Uh, yeah, they're, they're memories you take with you. But it, it, it always normally involves somebody getting lost or somebody being sick or 
<laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an amazing story. I uh, I think now now we know what it takes to get promoted. You just need a, a couple of nights where a few of your teammates get lost on a uh, golf course. And then honestly, that, um, no, that that really is fantastic, and I I, I hope that a, there there is a bit more to that story, really? but I just can't. Yeah, I can't tell it that's sort of the stuff I can tell <laughs> fair enough well, we'll maybe just off there. Um, uh, but, um, finally but before we go because this has been relatively long already filled with good stuff though um, but before we go I have to do an on this week in Brownie's career so I, I searched high and low for a good one for this week and I found on the 17th of April in 2001 you well Charlton I believe actually you were on the bench. I'm not sure if you came on. Uh, no, no surprise there, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> but you I reckon I'd have played. I reckon I'd have played over a thousand games with all my bench ones. <laughs> we'll count them. Oh, no, it wouldn't be that many. But listen, I did seem to be on there a lot. But go on. <laughs> but um, three three with Aston Villa at the Valley. Charlton took a two 0 lead. Then Aston Villa made it 2-2. Then Mark Kinsella scored late on to make it 3-2. And then they scored a last-minute equaliser. I have absolutely no recollection of that <laughs> whatsoever. All not, right, well. not, not any of the goals, not the result, nothing. <laughs> I told you, I, honestly, honestly, Benji, you, you'd be gobsmacked at what I can't remember. You, you'd be gobsmacked. And everyone thinks, you know, you must remember everything. There are certain things that you remember and they mean nothing. And that, that, like someone said to me the other day, um, well, when I say the other day, my other day could be anything up to like two or three years ago, right? <laughs> About me scoring against Wolves. And I went, I didn't score against Wolves. I'm pretty confident I didn't score against Wolves. And then there was a clip put up on the internet at some point where I volleyed this quite good goal, actually, from the edge <laughs> of the box, half volley, straight in the bottom corner against Wolves. Honestly, no recollection of it at, at all until I saw that clip. And it's the same with this 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 game here. And I would have sat and watched that. I might have even got on at some point, although three three, three two up. He might have put me on at three two up just to maybe sit in front of the back four or something, but but um I do not recollect that at all. No. Nothing. I can't help. That's terrible. We might as well go through part C. There was a part C that we haven't even gone into. You might as well go into that. No, it was it was it was asking about your best bonding activity, but it sounds like Oh, that, I tied it in. I tied it in. I tied it in. You're, yeah, yeah. you're a very adept yeah. tangential speaker, so you you tied it nicely yeah. in with the part yeah. B. But it's um yeah. I like that you remember that story so vividly, but you don't remember this game at the uh, I think no. that's no, I mean, there's loads of stuff that gets done. They're not necessarily designed to be bonding moments, but Keith Peacock used to do a dips chat. You know what dips are? You know the arm dips? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, so Keith Peacock used to let, he used to have an open challenge. Anybody could challenge him for the dips. Anybody. But you just got to give him two weeks notice so he could train for it, right? So and we had about three people challenge Keith, and it was... It, it was it was done so well at times where it would be they'd enter the, like a boxer enters a ring, so there'd be a, a, a you know a song to come through and they we'd all line up down the side and they come through all of us and into the gym, and I don't ever remember Keith losing. So that the, the person challenging had to go first, right? So if they if they pumped out seventy two, Keith would pump out seventy three, and I, you have to ask Keith, you know, but he never lost, and I think he got challenged three times. And I do remember Limboy Primus challenged him, lost. I do remember a goalkeeper challenged him and lost. 
and and I just, it, I just, it was incredible. Like those things where you make a big thing of it, where everybody's lined up and and, mm. and, and the music comes on and we're all cheering and chanting and Keith and then Keith walks in as the favourite. You know, I think Limboy Primus walked in and he dressed like Mike Tyson: black boots, black shorts, no, you know, no socks, and and, and like they cut out, they cut a hole like you know, Mike Tyson used to have like a. It just had basically no sleeve, did it? It was just a, you know, and they cut a hole out and they did that for Limboy. And it just, those, those things happen and, and they're great moments at football clubs. Um, you, you know, you have tournaments, tennis tournaments, table tennis tournaments and stuff. So you, you, there's lots of stuff going on. But the sad reality is, you're going back to Connor Washington and his, his interview with Carl, you don't get together enough, sadly. That's the sad reality of football. And I know I've said this before, I had and made some incredible friendships during my 14 years of professional footballer. I see none of them. That's the sad reality of it. I'm still good friends with them. I consider them good friends and I could pick up the phone to the really close ones that I made. I can pick up the phone and talk to them all and they would all answer and they'd be great. Fantastic. But do we see each other? No, absolutely not. And it just fades. You know, one, one or two of them used to play golf with. And then the golf slowly stops and you don't see them. Um, but again, you know, you text them or you pick up the phone and we're all great like that. We're all great. We'll all respond. We'll all muck in. And it's, you know, but sadly, you don't carry on the friendship outside of football. You know, it just, it just slowly disappears over time. And it's just one of those things in football where you acknowledge that you've got on really well. You acknowledge that you'll always do those people favours as much as you can. But sadly, you don't go for a drink with them. You don't go for a meal out with them as, as couples anymore, you know. And, and, and that's the sad reality of it all, you know. And I dare say people have got friendships beyond the end of their career. But my experience is, I see Mike in America more than I see players that live within an hour of me. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I guess it says, you know, it, it says quite a lot about how special those friendships were at the time and you know how special that sort of element of football was for you and, and was probably just in general for players that you can you know you can remember those moments so perfectly but games kind of come and go you know games um, unless they're the yeah. very very special ones it's kind of in some ways just another game but those moments off the pitch and those moments behind the scenes where you're really you know you're because that, I guess, you know, that, that's what football is all about. Whether you're a fan, you know, it's about relationships you build with other fans. And whether you're a player, it's about a lot, I think, those relationships you build with other players. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at the League One table. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've, played, I've played against Oxford. And there's a game against Oxford that I can remember, you know, like it was yesterday. We went to Oxford. Matty Elliott, who was a centre-half at Charlton, got released by us and went to Oxford. He went on to have a wonderful career, actually. Very successful. He went on to be a very good centre-half for Leicester. And we went up to Oxford and we beat them 4-0. Paul Lieburn played extremely well that day. And I had to mark uh, the quickest player I'd ever marked that day. And I was nervous about it. And I took advice off of Scott Minto, who was left back at the time. You know, how do you deal with pacey players? And, you know, what, what can I do to stop him? And I remember that, right? But I cannot remember that Villa game. You know, so it's weird. I, I can't explain it, Benji. I, I, I can't explain why one game sits in the memory banks and one doesn't. You know, and some might say, well, you're a sub, that's why you didn't care. No, I always cared. You know, there's other games where I've sat on the bench that I've watched that I've been fascinated by, you know, and, and I can remember clearly. Um, but I, I don't know why, why, why the brain does that. It, it lets me remember something so clearly. And yet other things 
I can't, you know, if, if you want to talk about when you're a sub, when we beat Ipswich in the playoffs 1-0, Sean Newton cuts inside on his left foot and I was sitting right behind it and he unleashes this left foot drive and it is going straight for the stanchion. I'll never forget that game. Fantastic atmosphere at the Valley that night. 1-0 win. We went on to beat them 2-0 over two legs. You know, so there are games that just stick in there and others that you just can't remember for love nor money. And I don't know why. Just what the brain does, I guess. Yeah, time I, I imagine unfortunately doesn't doesn't help. But I there yeah. I feel like yeah. I forget things from the, a day ago. Mm. I feel like I can barely remember Charlton's last game. But, anyways, I think sadly that's probably all the time we have today. A lot of really really good things discussed today. I really enjoyed chatting with you as always. Um, this has been Brownie and Benji. My name is Benji. I've been joined by Brownie as always. It's been a pleasure, Charlton fans. Listen, subscribe, drop us some comments. We'll be back next week for another episode. Thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone. <laughs>